Hello there. Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean checking in from Toronto. I can see the skyline of uh, downtown Toronto right behind you in your hotel window, Arif. And you know after a game like that, 2-1 to one overtime win in Toronto, we have to come and uh, break it down a little bit for you. So Arif from Toronto, how you doing? How was the experience? And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your night. Uh, experience was good. The night was good. The, the game was a, just a defensive battle, but it was fun. The arena didn't have the kind of energy you hope out of a game between Colorado and Toronto, but the actual on ice product was a lot of fun. Uh, Toronto has been great. I am going straight from here to Detroit. Uh, like we talked about the other day, the avalanche are on their way to Ottawa. They're probably landing there right now. It's 11 PM Eastern time. Uh, they play there Thursday and then they'll meet me in Detroit for that game Saturday. But Tonight was a fun one. It was a grinded out type of victory. And, and it was exactly the type of game that you want to play when you come on the road and play one of the most skilled teams in the NHL. Yeah, let's get into the defensive aspect that you just brought up. I mean, tonight was very much about Georgiev, in my opinion. You know, he made some big saves there down the stretch of the game and then, of course, stole the show in the shootout. But it was very much a defensive style game from both sides here, right? Last podcast, you and I talked about how games are starting to pick up their intensity. They're starting to feel a little bit more playoff-esque. And, you know, not exactly from a physical standpoint, but from that defensive, shut it down, not really allow too many dangerous chances. Both sides really brought, I think, a, an A game from the defensive side. 100%. I mean, the Avalanche, the the way that they've been playing defensively these last three games has been just textbook textbook is the best way to explain it the toronto maple Leafs also had their fair share of defensive abilities you know tonight playing the game that they played but you want to look at it from colorado's standpoint like what toronto did was impressive but couldn't get that last goal the the the, the one in overtime or the one in the shootout to win it what colorado did was even more impressive because it's the second game of a road trip you're coming to toronto where last year when you came here you got whipped uh, by the Maple Leafs, eight goals on Jonas Johansson, obviously not Georg Ever Kemper. Um, asterisk. Playing, yes, big, big asterisk. You're playing a very strong team in the Toronto Maple Leafs who's coming off of a loss to the Buffalo Sabres, so they're hungry. Uh, they're one of the deepest teams in the NHL. They've They've got a lot of talent, and you came into their barn, and yes, they held you to just 24 shots in regulate or 25 shots in regulation and 29 overall, but you held them to 18. You did an exceptional job. You you surrendered the first goal and didn't let the game get away from you after that Morgan Riley goal. And it was textbook defensive hockey on the second game of a road trip where in the first game, you lost one of your best defensive forwards in Arturi Lekkinen and the type of guy that, you know, when you play these types of games, he's usually the one you are recognizing and noticing. So without him against Toronto, 18 shots, it's it's an incredible game from the Avs. Yeah, uh, I don't know. You want to jump into an Arturi Lekkinen conversation real quick, and then uh, we'll, we'll keep this defensive train rolling? Yeah, let's do that. Let's go to Arturi. Okay, yeah. So obviously left the game in Montreal after, uh, you know, scoring a goal, getting a standing ovation breaks yeah. a finger so yep. um you know obviously detrimental do you think he makes it back in time healthy ready to go in playoffs it reminds me a lot of the nazim Kadri injury almost from last year right i mean it was a top hand right was that was that was naz's a top hand or was his bottom hand i think naz was a bottom hand i'm trying to remember which one is more important because that's what it was for naz and naz was also a thumb so a thumb injury is a little bit more uh you know it's a little bit tougher to recover from 
But the best way to explain what Lekkonen has is not to compare it to Nazem Kadri. It's to compare it to the guy in Toronto that's also not playing tonight, Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly broke his finger, uh, I want to say about a week and a half ago now, maybe two weeks, um, if I remember correctly. And Toronto said, I think, right around a four or five week timeline. So Jared Bednar has been throwing out the number four to six weeks. He hasn't been saying that that's Lekkonen's timeline. He's been saying that that's what it usually takes to get back from this type of an injury. So Lekkonen, if I understand it correctly, he flew with the team on Monday from Montreal to Toronto. And then in Toronto on Tuesday, he flew out to Denver. Galchenyuk flew in to replace him, obviously. And was expected to get surgery. So Lekkonen may have had the procedure done today, may have had the procedure done, you know, today as in Wednesday is when we're recording this, maybe Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, or he may, or he may have the procedure scheduled for some time on Thursday where we'll get a more clear timeline. The regular season, I believe, ends in a month from today, 30 days. So that gives him ample opportunity to return a lineup to return to the lineup for the playoffs right around the four and a half to five week mark, maybe miss a game one, but I would suspect that he's going to be, and you know, the good thing about a broken finger is he can still train. He could still skate. There's a lot of things he can do. He can remain up to speed. Um, it seems like the type of thing where he's going to be ready to rock and roll game one of the Stanley cup playoffs. I don't think he'll play another regular season game just because of the fact that the avalanche end with a back-to-back had it been, you know, that Nashville game didn't exist, the one that was rescheduled where they had a day off. Maybe he jumps in for game 82, but it wouldn't make a lot of sense to play at Ball Arena, throw Lekkonen on a plane, fly to Nashville and play him there. So I think he'll be ready to go for the playoffs. If anything, maybe he misses like one game. Right. Hopefully closer to four weeks than six. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of that time, right? I don't No, no need to rush him. A lot like they did last year heading into the playoffs. Even if a guy was a little bit injured, really kind of give them that extra time to just get ready for the playoffs because you, yep. you know they're in it. So obviously a guy they're going to miss, but once playoff time comes, he's going to turn back into playoff Lekkonen, and we know that's a better version than he's been playing already this season. He's been playing great this season. So excited to yeah. see what he brings to the table for playoff time. Yeah, absolutely. 20 goals, 29 assists, 49 points, and I believe 62 games. All career highs for him. Uh, did you happen to catch how the like how he broke his finger, which has not been confirmed, but how we it looks like he broke his finger in that Montreal game? It. No, it was the second goal that he scored, the power play goal. He had his stick up and he was in front of the net, and the puck deflected off of his glove and went in. And that looks like the play that may have broken his finger, the goal, the 20th goal of the season. Because if you remember the first goal that the Avalanche scored, it was originally given to Logan O'Connor, and then it was later changed to Arturi Lekkinen. So mm-hmm. Nobody really knew that he had that goal. When he scored the goal, the one that allegedly or potentially broke his finger, uh, like you said, the crowd cheered for him. Now, the reason why the crowd cheered for him was really cool. If you remember, Arturi Lekkinen, before he was scoring big goals for the Avalanche, sending him to the Stanley Cup final, and then eventually winning the Stanley Cup with a goal, he scored the game-winning goal in overtime against the Vegas Golden Knights to lift them out of the uh, out of the. Uh, I don't even want to call it the Western conference final out of the conference finals into the Stanley cup final, but he played that entire series and scored big goals without a crowd at bell center. And then I don't think he scored in the Stanley cup final against Tampa Bay. So they never got to cheer for his goal. It was as if they were making up for that lost time to be like, Hey, let's cheer for this guy. We're not going anywhere, whatever. Let's just root for him. So they were kind of remembering that. So it was a really cool moment. 
um, 20th goal of the season. First time he's done that. 100th goal of his career in Montreal and the road, the the away team fans, well, the home team fans when he's on the road cheering for him. And it all is on a goal that potentially broke his finger and ends his regular season. Just a very strange turn of events for Arturi. But I'm not too concerned about this one, especially given the way the Avalanche played today. Um, I'm not too concerned about this one. I think I think this injury is going to be, you know, not A-OK, but is not the worst thing in the world. It's frustrating for a player to injure something like that where the rest of your body feels game ready. But also, you know, it could be a, a little period for some much needed rest for him right and i bet you you know with that he'll come playoff time in tip top shape because he's going to be able to skate he's going to be able to continue to be on the ice getting in uh you know continuing his in-game shape and even letting a few things heal along with that finger so i expect a better version of arturi lekanen than even um he left off which was a pretty solid version like i said but back to the defensive conversation um i think shot suppression has really been their strength right and uh if you look back to last year and even years of past i feel like that's been what this defensive group tends to do i think they maybe got away from it a little bit early this season but it feels like the defensive unit is playing the way they're they're designed to play and i i don't know if that's just simply with the addition of bowen byram and him getting comfortable getting back into the swing of things um but I, i love the way i mean we all love the way the defensive group is looking right now no, absolutely. They look great. And, you know, there's there's something to be said about how much better this defense will get when they're healthy. And you know what? I'm not even going to do the thing like like Miko Rantanen said today when he was asked just real quick about the injuries and losing Lekanen and recovering from that. He said, we're, we're used to it. Like, this is just what we do. We lose guys, we play, we win games. 18-5-3 in their last handful of 20-something games. Since as long the- as they don't lose him. Yeah, exactly. Yes, thank you. Uh, 18, 5, and 3 since the sky was falling in game number 40 in that regulation loss to the Chicago Blackhawks. So the Avalanche are looking pretty dang good right now. But who, um, hold on. The Blackhawks just beat the Boston Bruins last yeah, night, mind the, you. So. The, the Boston Bruins just don't care anymore. They lost to the Red Wings and then the Blackhawks. They're like, is it playoff time yet? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like back then, it still mattered a little bit more for teams like that. And, and the Avalanche, um, you know, they that that was a tough game back then. That was also the last game Darren Helm played because he came in for five games and the sky was falling. Then they came out, defeated the Ottawa Senators seven nothing, eighteen five and three cents. So the way Miko put it was like, we're used to it. This is just what we do. And so when you're talking about the defense, what I was gonna say was, when I say when they're healthy, I'm not even gonna be greedy and say when all six of their top six guys are healthy. I'm just talking about their horses. They're Taves, they're Makar, they're Byram, they're Manson, they're Gerard. We've talked about this many, many times. They have five guys that can play in a top four role, and then they have a clear-cut number six in Eric Johnson. I don't care if the number six guy is Eric Johnson. I don't care if it's Jack Johnson. I don't even care if it's Brad Hunt, who, by the way, love that dude. He's such a fun guy, aside from him being a player. Uh, If the Avalanche have their top five guys healthy, they're going to look way better than they already do. And I don't think we talk enough about what Josh Manson means to this team. You and I do, and we do it often, but I want to use the Toronto Maple Leafs as an example. And I'm going to do this because it's time we start to learn a little bit about them because there is a chance they are in the Stanley Cup final this year, whether it's against the Avalanche or not. This team is good. They're locked and loaded and ready to go for a long run. The Maple Leafs early in the season lost Jake Muzzin to a back injury. 
And it was one of those unfortunate injuries where it just kind of seems like his career might be over. And he was the only guy on that team that does what he does, that plays the type of game that he plays. So at the trade deadline, they had to address it, and they did. They brought in Jake McCabe, another Jake, from the Chicago Blackhawks to play that type of role. Jake McCabe is the only guy on the Maple Leafs that plays that physical edge top four type of role, sound defensively, can pitch in offensively, but is that physical force on the blue line that you can rely on to play big minutes. Josh Manson is that to the avalanche. When you're missing a Bo Byram, it's not easy, but Sam Gerard, Devon Taves, and Kel McCarr can pull the weight and make up for it. When you're missing a Kel McCarr, the other three can pull. Devon Taves, the other three. Gerard, the other three. When you're missing Josh Manson, nobody can do what he does. That's why the Avs went out and traded for Jack Johnson, because they could rely on him at least more than they could on Andreas Engeland, but he still can't play the type of minutes consistently and be effective in the way Josh Manson is. So if or when, well, I, I shouldn't even say if, when Josh Manson is healthy, and if the Avalanche have all five of these guys healthy, as in nobody else gets hurt by the time Josh is back, their defense is only going to get better. And I think, like I said last episode, this is their bread and butter now. Playing this type of defensive style game is what's going to lead to winning playoff games this season as compared to last year and what they're doing defensively right now without Josh Manson. Incredible. Again, especially given the fact that you're playing somebody like Toronto who has the power that they do. Yep. Avalanche are six and one in Josh Manson's last seven games. So obviously a, a great piece to, to put in the lineup, but the Avalanche have been playing so well, obviously you missed Josh Manson, but during games, honestly, I haven't really been thinking about him. I, I, I've never been like, oh, man, they really miss Josh Manson in this scenario. So adding a piece like Josh Manson to a defense that's already playing the way they are, I mean, you're just, uh, you know, it's gravy on top of the mashed potatoes. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I just can't wait to see it. We've, we've said it before. We'll say it again. November 4th was the last time all five of those D-men played in the same game at the same time in Finland. Uh, and they creamed the Columbus Blue Jackets that night. So or that day, whatever, in Finland. So having him back is going to be huge because the difference now compared to in October is Sam Gerrard has found his game. Devon Taves had an inconsistent start to the season. He's playing well. Kale McCarr is playing at the top of his game. Bo Byron's playing at the top of his game. Everybody looks great from the top four right now. If you add Josh, Josh Manson to that mix and he plays the type of game he did, if you remember his last return, the game against Minnesota, how effective he was in that game and how noticeable he was. If he comes back and plays that type of game while the other four guys are all playing how they're playing, it's, it's game over for the, for the opposition. Like the Avalanche, they're built on defense this year. They have since the beginning. They are not a middle-of-the-pack, but they're closer to a middle-of-the-pack team offensively. But defensively, save percentage-wise, things like that, now shot suppression these last three, four, five games. If you include the LA and San Jose games, they've surrendered 101 shots over five games. That's 20 shots per game. It's pretty damn good. So they're looking really well on that front. And, and when they have Manson back, it's, you know, assuming everybody else is healthy, it's, it's game over. I really feel like Bowen Byram, you know, he makes his impact felt for sure, but he still needs to clean up some things here and there. So once he's, you know, full swing and getting into playoff mode, you know, he's going to have a whole nother level to him too. But, you yep. know, he just he just throws a different element into the game, just the way he plays, his aggressive style. And, um, you know, he just is something for the opponent to watch always. Yeah, and right now you have uh, Bowen Byram playing with Sam Gerrard. 
when you have Bo playing with Josh, a player that's more capable of covering for him, not that Gerard isn't a good two-way defenseman. He does have good defensive abilities too, but Gerard also likes to jump up in the play. So does Josh, but not to that level. So once he's playing with Manson, it'll help him even more. All right, I guess here's a good little halftime we'll take here to uh, talk about our buddies over at Superbook Sports. Of course, 2023 is the year that we can all make the year we make it the year we beat Vegas in the Superbook. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head to head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computers, algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app now or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Um, Arif, let's get to Alexander Georgiev. Gets his 30th win of the season. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, really kind of grabbed the reins during the shootout and uh, said, you know, I got this boys just score one for me and uh, we'll be on our way to Ottawa with a victory. So a couple big saves, nothing, not a, the most spectacular night, but that made the saves necessary. Um, and a couple big ones in the second and third period that really kept Toronto at bay. Toronto had 11 shots in the second and third period. One of them was a two on one where Mitch Marner set up. Yeah. Callie and Croc, you guys all remember that save. And he was incredible and spectacular on that save. Then there was another play off the rush where William Nylander went to his backhand, wide open, shot it, and a, and he made a kick pad, a pad kick save. 11 shots in two periods, and he was sharp enough to make two stops like that, and I'm probably missing some other ones. He was incredible. And when I asked him today about you know, how it is to stay sharp in games like that. I mean, look, this is the same guy that faced 19 shots in Montreal and four went past him because he was just kind of sitting there hanging around the avalanche or making it five, nothing, six, one, and you know, four, nothing, four, one, five, one, six, one, seven, two. And then he like two of them just get by him. It's hard to stay sharp in games like that, but tonight was different. He was able to keep his, keep his composure and really be ready for any opportunity. And, you know, he kind of mentioned that, it is a little bit different because of that when I asked him about it post-game, uh, which, by the way, you guys will listen to it after this. I'll, I'll throw in a clip of uh, Alexander Georgiev after the game and after the victory, and he kind of mentioned how it is a little bit different, but all you have to do is just kind of stay composed, stay in your, stay in your game, and really just kind of like the usual, just be ready for anything that comes at you, and he was, and, and he did a good job at it. So I know, think this a, was... it, there's – sorry to interrupt you, but there's a big difference between – you know, when you're not seeing shots and when you're not seeing the puck down in your zone. And Toronto still was able to get the puck down in your zone. Alexander Gorgiev can get set. He can follow the puck across the crease and follow it around the zone. Even if no shot actually gets to the net, you know, he might even face a shot attempt. Well, it might not reach him. It he, He's still getting action, right? He's still yeah. staying in the game. So I think against a team like Toronto where, um, yeah, you may not be seeing that many shots, but you're still seeing action. It's a lot different than, say, you yeah. know, San Jose, for example. Yeah. You ever seen that picture? I forget which goalie it is where they're sitting on top of their net. And they're just kind of like hanging out, sitting on top, and their pads are just kind of their legs are just hanging out the front of the net. I forget which goalie it was. It's a famous picture. Maybe it was Tim Thomas. I don't remember. Or actually, it was Marc-Andre Fleury, I'm pretty sure. So that picture is what it was like to play the San Jose Sharks. You're just kind of hanging out, just chilling. The puck's in the other zone. You're not really engaged. You're not doing much with it. That's what it looked like for most of the Montreal game before the Avalanche took their foot off the pedal, understandably so, up by four, five, six goals. 
But against Toronto, like you said, it was different. Just because the shots weren't coming at him, it doesn't mean he wasn't engaged. Every time Toronto's got a rush, he's locked in. He's getting in that butterfly position. He's tracking pucks. He's trying to see where things are. And then his team makes an incredible defensive play, goes the other way, gets a second arrest, recharge, reset. Here comes Toronto again, time to get back in. So it was a little bit different from that point of view. So he was locked in, you know, locked in and engaged the entire way, I would say. I mean, in overtime, did you see how many opportunities Toronto had to score in overtime and how it looked like they had a couple good chances? Mm-hmm. You wonder how many shots Toronto had in overtime? How many? Zero. Bingo. So that that's just the cl- – I mean, one of them hit the crossbar, obviously, or the post or whatever, but that's just an example. No matter how many times Toronto had opportunities in the offensive zone in overtime, he didn't really face a shot, but it doesn't mean he wasn't engaged and locked in. He was ready to go and he was in the game. So – A little bit of a different uh, feel for him, but the Avalanche are doing that good job of when the puck gets down to their end, they're making sure that the other team, they're locking in on the other team. They're doing Jared Bednar's favorite thing, their commitment to checking, as he says, over and over and over again. They're doing a great job at that. And when the other team does get a shot, Georgiev is tracking pucks really well. Like Morgan Riley, if you remember early in the game, Riley had a shot, it hit the crossbar. Then he came back from that circle. He had the exact same shot and scored. After that, every shot was a good – Georgiev had a good look at every shot. Even in the shootout, you know, he made the very confident poke check on Mitch Marner where he was with him the entire way and then just poked it. It looked easy. Austin Matthews, same thing. One of the best shots in the NHL came in, came in, came in, and just ran out of real estate because he was right there and held him. Same with William Nylander. He was so confident in tracking pucks where he never looked out of position. Uh, that Nylander save was the one that did it for me. I loved it. The way he followed that across and didn't let himself flop onto his side, just kept shuffling his knees and stayed up and just put his glove right where he needed to. But the save that really stood out to me was during a power play, I think in the second period, um, you know, the puck was in the corner, gets passed across, and Georgiev follows it immediately. I don't even think he knew the shooter was there, but he followed the puck, tracked it right across, and a beautiful pad save made it look elementary and it's a way tougher save than he made it look and um that's where i want to go with this is the is the the penalty kill right on nights where the avalanche are having a really strong penalty kill alexander Georgiev has been one of the best penalty killers i mean he he when he brings it he he shuts that penalty kill down so i think that's going to be a huge asset moving forward just the way he can shut down a penalty kill and the confidence he has and just that extra little weapon that you have on top of an already pretty effective penalty kill unit yeah i mean there was against the montreal canadians i believe it was evgeny dadanov that scored on the power play that ended a stretch of 17 straight kills for the abs on the pk and then they killed off three more today so with him back there and with them playing the way they are on the PK and now finally starting to score some power play goals. They only had one today and it was kind of a gift, but one is more than more than necessary to win a game. That's 20% on five opportunities that they had. So with the PK playing the way they are and with the power play starting to get a little bit of a charge here, um, that's huge for the abs because now both your special teams are kicking it and, and your goalie always has to be your best penalty killer. And he looks like it right now. Um, other conversation I wanted to get to was just the simple conversation of Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon, one with a goal, one with an assist tonight. Good to see them do it on the big stage in Toronto. But yep. I mean, those guys have been doing it every single night. Those two, uh, I mean, obviously n- not much else can be said about them. We already know we've seen these games. We've seen what they're producing, but just amazing stuff coming out of both those guys and just fun to watch and good for them. And I, I like seeing just 
their overall demeanor. They, they just both seem really happy and having a lot of fun doing it. Do you know where Miko Rantanen ranks in goals? I think he's tied for third right now with Dreisaitl. That's correct. 44 goals tied with Dreisaitl. The only two guys ahead of him. Connor McDavid, David yes. Pasternak. Dang, Bingo. look at me go. Look at that. Rocking it. In even points, even with a month off, paternity <laughs> leave, I'm still sharp. You can't touch this. In point production, because Nathan McKinnon, you got to remember, missed 11 games. And I, I, I often wonder where he would be had he not missed those 11 games. But in point production, Nathan McKinnon has 1.49 points per game. He is third in the NHL. So had it not been for him missing the 11 games, he would be third in the NHL in total points. You know who the two guys are ahead of him in points per game? No. I mean, take a guess. Same two. McDavid Close. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Hmm. McDavid and Dreisaitl, one is at 129 points, obviously Connor. And then Leon Dreisaitl is at 100 points. They are the second set of teammates in NHL history. Only the second time ever that the first two players in a single season to 100 points are teammates. So... McDavid's at 1.9 points per game. Leon Dreisaitl, 1.52. So not even that much of a big stretch. Or not I mean that much of a big jump from McKinnon. McKinnon, 1.49. He has been spectacular. He is the only player. This is a cool stat that I read today. The only player in the NHL at a playing at a point-per-game pace at even strength. He's got 57, 56 even strength points in 55 games. He's the only guy. So he's doing it on the power play like he did today. He's doing it on the penalty on uh, on uh, at even strength. He's scoring goals. He's setting up goals. He's doing it all right now, just in time for the playoffs. He's got to hit the net a little more, at least tonight yeah. in Toronto. Yeah. He had a tough time hitting the net, didn't he? he? He had a couple of those ones where he would come in and then kind of turn around and do that no look backhander, and it would just breeze by the net. There was two that I can remember that he did that. Yeah, a couple over the over the crossbar too, in typical Nathan McKinnon fashion, just trying to go high glove, right? Yeah. Nathan McKinnon either scores or shoots highest. I've been saying that for like eight years. Yeah, it's a little shame he only ended up with two shots. I know that one hurts you a little bit. Yep, killed my parlay, <laughs> but hey, we live to fight another day. Um, still trying to make this 2023 the year I beat Vegas. Not off to a hot start, but I'll get there. Long, <laughs> lot of year left. Um, Alexey Alchenyuk steps up, gets the call in. Um, I feel like this is a guy, you know, kind of a, a roller coaster season for him. I'm sure. I think we had more expectations when we first heard of the PTO at training camp. And then of course got sent to the Eagles, uh, you know, had to take some time off due to injury, then get sent to the Eagles. And I, I guess I, I didn't expect it to be this long till we saw him again. Um, I'm not sure he really made the biggest impact tonight. Got a couple shot on goals himself, but uh, was there anything that stood out to you watching the game live from Alex Galchenyuk? He had one shot. He took two face-offs. He had five shifts. Three minutes, 22 seconds out of 65. So not good. Not a good look. Yeah. So this is a guy that clearly is, you know, think back to the uh, to the early parts of the season. Think back to when the Avalanche had guys playing the four, the, the, 9, 10, 11, and 12 forward role that Jared Bednar couldn't trust and was playing them three, four minutes a night. Galchenyuk reaches that mark. Obviously, it's only one game. Maybe he starts to build a little bit of trust because Dennis Malgin used to be in that, you know, in that category. And now he's kind of built his way up to the second line, played 11, 28, 11, 28 today against the Toronto Maple Leafs. More out of desperation than anything. Not that he, you know, really earned his way up the lineup. Well, he also has six goals in his last 14 games. Sure, sure. 
he's also providing depth scoring. He's playing the same amount of minutes pretty much every night as someone like uh, Matt Nieto or even Alex Newhook. Alex Newhook played only 845 today. Obviously, you got to put your best foot forward and play your best forwards on any given night. Newhook clearly wasn't one today. Uh, Matt Nieto was at 814, so he was right around there as well. But basically... You know, the Avalanche had that issue in the beginning of the season, but then they added depth in Malgin. They got Lars Eller. They got Matt Nieto. Obviously, Darren Helm is looking like he's inching closer to a return. It looks like with the injuries to Landeskog, to Lekkinen, and to Helm, it looks like once you go past the three, once you go past the two forward injuries, the Avalanche enter that territory of we can no longer trust this guy. So, in the playoffs, if they ever have three forwards deep of injury, and again, this is assuming Landeskog's even healthy, but if they ever have three forwards deep of injury, and that could include that does include Landeskog, then if they're healthy on defense, I could see a you know a scenario where they play six, seven D, and eleven forwards instead of playing Galchenyuk for three minutes. Let Jack Johnson and Eric Johnson both dress with the five you know horses that on on the blue line. And go 7D with the 11 forwards. Because once you hit past two injuries, you've officially run out of forwards. That's what that's what it says to me with Galchenyuk's ice time tonight. Yeah, no, I agree. And even a couple other ones, right? It's it's hit or miss, it feels like, for Jared Bednar with a lot of his depth guys on who he can trust and who he can't. It doesn't seem like there's much consistency there um, on any given night when it when it's a tough game like this. When you gotta when you gotta play third minutes with guys that you know are going to go in there and make an impact. Sometimes it feels like Jared Bednar's a little limited on who he can use. Yeah. Well, right on, I guess, uh, looking ahead at tomorrow in Ottawa, another five o'clock game and then Saturday against Detroit an 11 o'clock game. So two early games, uh, already a pretty good start for the avalanche on the road trip. I guess, what do you want to see to, uh, ensure that the road trip ends on a good note? You know, I, I predicted going into the road trip, you're going to win three or four with the one loss being in Ottawa because of the back-to-back. I still kind of feel that way. Granted, the Sens have lost three games in a row. They've lost a little bit of that luster that they had. Uh, they got blown out by the Edmonton Oilers 6-3 to three in their last showing. But I, I'm just really curious what Jared does with the goaltending because there's two ways you can go about this. You can, you know, play the goalie on a back-to-back in Georgiev, who has faced only 58 shots in three games, 57 shots in three games, not even 20 per. You can play him on a back-to-back in Ottawa, hope he locks it and gets a victory, and then rest him from Thursday all the way to Monday because you have that game in Detroit Saturday where you can just throw your backup at the Red Wings, who are not playing too well right now. Or you don't play him in the back-to-back. You play the backup, potentially lose, put Georgi back against the Red Wings, play him then, send him to Colorado, play him Monday at home as well. So I'm really curious how they go about this. Um, I, the, the, the goaltending thing is unfortunate, not having Frankie, because with a healthy Frankie, the loss to New Jersey probably doesn't happen. There's a couple other games there where you feel a little more confident in your goaltending. Um, and we might see some games here where they miss out on points because they have to play Johansson or Annan or Kincaid. So, We'll see what happens. I still think they win three or four because of the goaltending scenario that they that's playing out. But if, if Francois was healthy and you were giving him one of these games and Georgie the other, uh, they'd probably win all four and they still can. It's just going to be a little bit more tough with the backup goalie. Indeed. Indeed. Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of, there's a balance you kind of have to play here. Kind of the same with the Arturi Lekkonen situation, right? I mean, yes, you still want to keep, 
packing on wins and keep climbing the standings if you can. But at this point, you know you're in the playoffs. Do you really want to go with more risky plays just to try to pick up two points here or there um, when you're already kind of on a decent little road trip winding down the season? Yeah, you know? it's it's a it's a tough line to walk, right? I mean, which one would you play Georgie in the back to back or Detroit? I think uh, like, do I, you, do you value him not playing a back to back or do that, you value that, rest from Thursday all the way to Monday? That's kind of what I'm saying is I, I think I value the rest here, you know, throw, throw a Kincaid at Ottawa. If you lose, you lose. So what? Um, Johansson, Johansson's on the road trip, not Kincaid. Oh, really? That's the, yeah. that's the route they went. Hmm. I guess uh paternity leave doesn't have me as sharp as I thought. <laughs> it's all right. I, I made this joke last game and I, it wasn't even a joke. I was dead serious. I've been so disconnected from the backup goalie carousel that every time I show up to ball arena for a home game, cause they had those four in a row before the road trip. I don't even remember who was at morning skate. I look at the game sheet when I get it, or I look down at the bench and, and figure out, is it Annan, Johansson or Kincaid? I kind of find out in that moment. So it is what it is. Cool. Well, we'll be back Saturday post game. You'll be in Detroit, so another yep. live, giving giving us a little clout. Congratulations to you, also by the way, for joining um, the radio show you joined today on Sportsnet. I know that's a major accolade for you in your career. So shout out Era for that one. Yeah, and uh, Nick Kiprios and Justin Bourne. Thank you, the Real Kipper and Bourne show. It's the it's uh, five days a week, two hour radio show in Toronto. Here, they obviously talk all hockey, but it's very Maple Leaf centric because we are in Toronto. Um, the first, and you know, obviously how many podcasts and radio shows I listen to that are hockey related. This is my first time appearing on a show that I am subscribed to and is part of my daily slash weekly cadence of what I listen to. So that was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. Did they call you a reef? They actually had my name, right? Nick Kiprios, former NHLer. Look him up. I love Nick Kiprios. He's a, he's a G he won the Stanley cup in 94 with the Rangers and he played for the Maple Leafs among other teams. Uh, I turned on the, their show about five minutes. They have a live YouTube feed and then they're live on the radio. I turned on their live YouTube feed about five minutes before I was scheduled to go on. And right before the commercial break, he said, when we come back, we got Arif Dean of Mile High Sports. And I was like, whoa, that was impressive. He said it right, had it right from the first get. I don't know if they did a little bit of digging and found a podcast to hear me say my name or if they just got it on the go. But it was it was great. Did you plug us? More importantly, I, sh- I sure did not. Well, no, they plugged us. That's why I didn't. Because right when I jumped on, Nick Kiprio said it's Arif Dean of Mile High Sports. He's a host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast. And then he went right into it. So he did the plugging for me. Right on. Right yeah. on. I love it's it. pretty crazy when you jump on a show that big. As the show was going on, I was gaining followers. And I had two people tweet me during the show saying, great insight on Kipper and Bourne. Like, I've never had that before. So it's just all right, really, all right, Arif, calm it's down, just, calm down. It's just really great to see how big, um, it's just really cool, not great, but cool to see how big these shows are in Canada um, and how many people are listening live, not just later like I usually do. Yeah, especially down the stretch that, that ramps up around the Colorado Avalanche too, right? So strap in, um, here we go, it's go time. One month left, like Arif said. So uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on Saturday, live from Detroit and live from my basement. We'll be doing another podcast. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, if you made it this far on the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you. Enjoy Alexander Georgia. Matt Marner shot it looks like you come checked it just what did you see him yeah. doing what was kind of your thought process on that play 
Uh, just uh, trying, trying to be patient and see what he does and kind of uh, see if he, he's short distance to me and give him nothing. What What can you say about the way this team's playing defensively? I think it's 58 total shots over the past three games. Just what, what's impressed you about that? Yeah, it's really, really great defense. Uh, we play so much in the defensive zone that definitely helps a lot. And, uh, you know, like, keep going like that. It's, uh, it works for us. Yeah. Is it tough to stay sharp for games like this where you face seven or eight shots in the last two periods, but you have to make big stops, one on Nylander, the two-on-one on Young Krog? Is it... Uh, it, it's a little different. Uh, I want to say harder or, or anything. You just try to be, be in the moment, and uh, whatever comes, if, if you get to play the part or uh, anticipate the plays, just the same as usual. What can you say about the heater that Nate's on? Uh, I mean, he's, he's a world-class player, and I'm not really following <laughs> what, what kind of points streak he has or goals. Nine, no. Nine. Uh, yeah, he's, he's also he's top player in the world. Uh, you know, we, we need, need that play from him. Do you think your, how your team has really come together you know, in the second half of the season, even though you still have a lot of injuries? Yeah. Uh, just uh, just finding ways to win, playing, playing smart hockey. We've been playing really good lately. Uh, like I said, we spent so much time in offensive zone. And, uh, Winning, winning the chances battle, so you gotta keep, keep it like that.